Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. From the cyber hub bunker in studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. All right, we are good. I I have three mics, to be honest. And then the system just did not want to cooperate with, let's just start traveling with a big speaker, right? That'll solve all of my problems. So, um, let me introduce our panel. Sorry? Seriously? Is that you, Hurley? Yeah. Being disruptive? I just want you to know I'm not editing this part out, Hurley. So every single listener is going to know that David Hurley disrupted a live podcast. Not when I'm recording. Vegas rules only apply when we're done recording. This is for my audience. The people who, because of them, I do this. So um, Kevin Gowan, who is the CISO over at Synovus. If you guys don't know Kevin, say hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Andrew, you guys just met him like literally like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Chief Strategy Officer with Simulate. Um, we're going to talk about beyond CISOs beyond technology, right? So technology is one aspect of security, but our, our topic is really um going a little bit beyond the tech for chief information security officers. Um, security is not just tech, it's also people and uh, relationships and so much more. We'll kind of kick this off with the White House Tech Summit a few weeks ago, right? 30 CEOs in a room. How many CISOs in the room? Anyone want to guess? None. 30. None. None. Oh, Zero. I know at least one. Who was there? Tim Burt from uh, TIA. Maybe. Yeah, I saw the guest list. It was like all CEOs. Okay. Yeah, so maybe one. So I stand corrected. Yeah. One. Did you say T-Mobile? No, from TiaCraft, Tim Bird. Oh, okay. yeah. I was going to say T-Mobile doesn't have security. Oh, are we being? <laughs> <laughs> I figured all the CEOs brought their CISOs along with them because they didn't want to sound dumb. They, they they all did. They just had them play in the open area of the oh, White the House. Oh, the kids' room. The yeah. kids' room. <laughs> They're in the kids' room. Um, if, if So about $300 billion in total was committed towards cyber over the next five years by a lot of these people. Uh, but what does that really mean, Kevin? What do you get out of that number, man? Well, 
I think the fact that, as you said, it was a room full of CEOs, right? It was a little bit of a statement, but the statement with that amount of money tied to it, with the profile of the companies involved and at least the commitment it implies, I think is pretty significant, right? I mean, your question though is it's it's easy to make pronouncements, then what are we gonna go do about it? Right. Right. How is that all gonna go ex get executed on? But I mean, I think that, that it was a pretty strong statement of that this is serious at the federal level. Now it leaves it to a lot of people like folks in this room and all the people we work with eventually to get into. So what do we go do with all that? And how do we make that real? Yeah, I think it'd be well, interesting to take? see how many of those CEOs have the CISOs directly reporting to them and not necessarily like two or three ladders away. Cause you know, they they should be briefed and understanding at least at a risk level, what cyber means to them. Um, and if they're not having those daily or at least, you know, fairly often conversations, I don't think they're being educated the right way. So if you think of 30 CISOs going to the White House to talk cyber, you would almost imagine that some of them probably went to the CISO and were like, make me sound smart, yep. right? All of them. <laughs> All of them. In fact, I know because I spoke to about 10 of the CISOs that I know that were their CEOs were there. And they said they got a lot more FaceTime with their CEO in the lead up to that than they did in like three, four, five years that they've been with the company. What's your name again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you do again? <laughs> See, you work here? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Just so you know, the, the title CISO, which we all take kind of CISO, CISO, whatever you want to call it, right? Everyone gives it its own name. Like in Australia, it's CISO. Everything's upside down there. But um, in America, I think it's CISO, right? Safe to say. That's the pronunciation. Yeah. Okay. CISO, sure. CISO, 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 CISO. Yeah, CISO, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> it, it's got a C and a. So um, a few years ago, we were, in, we were on Capitol Hill, Kevin and I. We're sitting in a room. And uh, also uh, Paul, uh, Paul's uh, uh, CISO was there as well, Bob. And uh, an elected official of the government comes in and we're all introducing ourselves. And he goes, uh, let me stop you. What's a CISO? <laughs> so that was about three years ago, 2018? Yeah. 18? Just, yeah. So... I think that the progress that we've made in three years is significant, mm -hmm. but the 300 billion that really is kind of getting invested in an industry. Um, Andrew, let me take it from you guys. You know, as you're looking at it from a strategy perspective, what do you see the opportunity be with, with that amount of money being invested? Uh, from like the vendor perspective, yeah. I see that as an opportunity to make some money, <laughs> uh, if I'll be honest with you. But no, I mean, I think really what it comes down to is now you've got serious weight behind you, right? I think the complaint probably for most people in this room, certainly from the people I talk to is that I don't have the support financially, nor do I have the support of, you know, the person who's in charge of the company knowing my name, but um, you know, hearing those kinds of numbers being thrown out there. Okay. Now we have at least that part of the problem, hopefully starting to get solved. We can, we can start to equate like, you know, I'm, I've got this problem. It's a $10 problem. I'm going to get $10 to solve that problem instead of $2 to solve a $10 problem kind of thing. So my perspective is like it's it's going in the right direction. It certainly doesn't solve everything. Kevin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's, uh, I, it was encouraging the scope of the breadth of the things that got talked about, right? And who was coming to the table from major providers to do things. It, it focused on a lot of different things as opposed to just here's a big bucket of money. because. Yeah. My concern with the here's a big bucket of money is how much of that am I going to realize 
to actually take and apply within my company to solve my problems. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably not much. But what it does do, I think, is it reinforces the fact that, look, there's a wide recognition this is, this is a big problem, right? And we got to approach a bunch of different aspects of it. You've got to invest in those things because this is serious. And we're hopefully going to get some focused support at the federal level to get at some of the underpinnings of why the things we deal with continue. See, so my concern with this one specifically, and then something I'd like us to discuss is, uh, my concern is the CEOs went and they pledged billions of dollars for security, right? Microsoft pledged 30 billion, Chase pledged 20 billion. I think like between the top five, like Amex pledged 20 bill, um, GM pledged 5 billion. GM, like a, a lot of the CEOs kind of threw out numbers that almost looked like a, um, um, an auction. An auction. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like who's going to invest more in, in what? Yeah. My concern is that they're going to see this amount of money as being, here's what we're spending over the next five years. And these numbers are over five years. So everyone said we're putting in, you know, 30 billion over five years. We're putting 5 billion over five years in addition to what we're doing. So this isn't kind of like we're increasing our budget. So, you know, we know some banks have a billion dollar security budget. We're adding in, a, we're doubling that budget over the next five years, or we're, you know, quadrupling that budget over the next five years. My concern is that come the end of those five years, they go, hey, we've given you all this money and we still have the same problems. Yep. Then what? What are, you th what are your thoughts on that? If we get into that situation, yeah, or, or okay, because I'm, I'm let's, yeah. let's go five years. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're, I mean, you're right. In reality, that's what's going to happen. It would be nice to say, like, oh, well, you know, what we really did was we took a very pragmatic approach about how we're going to spend all this money, but it's going to take you three out of five years to figure out how to do that, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the question is going to be the or what you do is well, the fight continues and we just need to keep going, but it's not a great answer. I mean, it's yeah. not an event, right? Yeah. You run the risk that it turns into this was a big event and it's a bunch of sound bites, yeah. right? I mean, CISOs were charged with make their CEO sound smart. People threw big numbers on the table, right? So, so then what? And you certainly run the risk, I think, of it turns into a pool of money that a bunch of people say, wow, I can go get people to buy stuff, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not sure that just buying more stuff, right, is what fundamentally gets us where we need to be. I and mean, that's a piece of it, yeah. right? And that kind of money is serious money, but... My concern is it just turns into an event. It's a bunch of stuff. Sure. Yeah. And as opposed to here are fundamental things that need to be addressed. Here's what we need to get better at nationally. Here's what we need to get better at the industry level. Right. And here's how we need to enable folks in this room and all the other people to do that. So right? with better capability yeah. to fight the battle. Yeah. I mean, so, I'd, I'd love to see a bunch of that money taken in. Like, let's start at the high school level and start training people. Because we all talk about the millions yeah. of cyber jobs out there that Don't can't exist. get filled. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, so so here's something very very interesting about that number, and let me just kind of you guys all hear it right. How many how many show of hands? How many have heard like 3.7 million cybersecurity jobs are going to be unfilled and the whole world's going to crash and burn? Yeah. So um, if you don't know who Naomi Buckwalter is, she's a CISO over at Beam, and uh, Naomi and I do a show on Thursdays um, called CISO Thursdays on LinkedIn, and it's it's a lot of fun. We do it with the folks from Breaking Into Cybersecurity. So I actually went in and we, uh, um, just so you know, LinkedIn has a uh, open uh, data harvesting API. Uh, you can pretty much harvest anything you want off of LinkedIn. Um, super safe, by the way. Uh, really. <laughs> you know, 
all power to them. So we kind of took down all the different jobs that were open in LinkedIn, right? Okay. And and just to kind of give you an idea, it wasn't 3.7. We ended up getting at about 600,000 jobs that were really open. Many of them were duplicates. So what would happen is you'd be looking for a, uh, an, ing- an engineer. The company would post it. A recruiter would post it. A job board would post it. And someone else would post it. So someone at some point somewhere, I kind of have an idea who it is, but I won't call him out, went, just did something very, very basic, wrote a headline, a bunch of people shared it, it went viral, and then all of a sudden it became like the word of God. Mm-hmm. It's not. Number two, just to kind of break this down, because there's a lot of leaders in this room, so let me tell you what our problem really is. We have a bunch of people applying for our entry-level roles. In fact, if you're looking for an entry-level role, there's an average of 80 CVs per job opening. Where we can't find people is those mid-level roles. Senior managers, directors, VPs, SVPs, AVPs. That's where those challenge lies. On those, on average, on LinkedIn, they were getting four applicants an opening. Four. Interesting. You're looking at the HR cycle of the interview. Some interviews are three to four weeks. Five weeks to maybe a month or a quarter you're waiting to get the next interview. And that's just to get to round two. Right. That's that's one of the biggest problems. The other problem is those entry-level people after two years want the senior stuff. Right. They don't want the middle stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think historically you look at like cyber still trying to climb out of this. So you better have the skills that you learned in your mom's basement while between the ages of 10 and 15 to get into our industry. Um, and so for years, it was just the, the barrier to entry to get any job in cyber was super high. I think we've, we're starting to claw our way out of that, but it's, there's still some of that for sure. Baby steps. Yeah. Right. We're, 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 we're doing fairly well, but I can tell you, I mentor 60 veterans every year that are transitioning from the military to civilian. And one of the first things we do with them is we start to translate their military skills to civilian, what it equals for civilian in a civilian kind of like job, whatever. And we prep them for interviews and it's very hard to get someone who's been programmed in the military for eight, 12 years to not call you, sir. <laughs> like, I don't think you guys understand that my biggest challenge with veterans when we get on a zoom call is stop calling me, sir. My name's James. If you call me, sir, I'm going to make you drop and give me 20 pushups and they drop and give me 20. <laughs> like it's the funniest thing, but it's, it's absolutely true. Um, but we kind of look at that job shortage, but I think that job shortage is really overinflated because sure. automation is going to play a role. But if we look at that money, for example, um, the, the CEO of Microsoft, I think Satya, um, I forgot his last name, right? He said that we're committing a bunch of this money down to the supply chain. Do you think that that's, do you think that's kind of going to end up being where some of this, a lot of this cash ends up going is downstream maybe to the uh, most vulnerable companies who can't afford to do security? I hope so. You know, I'm, th- I'm thinking about some of the discussions we were having, you know, earlier in the day, particularly in the, you know, think of the things Wes was talking about with the defense industry, right? And you got, you think about the, the Microsofts and the Apples and the Googles of the world aren't, aren't the U.S. economy, right? It's lots and lots of small and medium businesses. And those are the ones that, who legitimately can't get people because they can't pay what it costs to get the people with the skills they need. Yeah. Um, they don't have the capacity, the dollars, the knowledge, the time to invest in that. And they become 
you know, they're, they're the they're the targets, right? That enables enable cyber criminals to go after everybody else. So, yeah. I mean, I hope so. You know, it's, we got to make it stronger from the top down and also from the bottom up, just like the people thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so this is the fourth startup I've worked for, maybe maybe technically fifth. And I mean, tell you from from growing, you know, those organizations up and saying, hey, we're a cybersecurity company, we should probably at least kind of take the Michael Dell approach of drinking our own champagne. Uh, we should we should lead by example and not be you know part of that supply chain risk problem. But um, but yeah, just from my experience over the years, uh, it's I would really hope that they can you know I, I don't know how you operationalize that and say okay you're going to become one of my vendors I'm going to pay you instead of I'm going to give you more money than you're asking for for your product to help you shore up your cyber controls or how you really make that work. But the investment would certainly I think have uh, a bigger impact than like Kevin said, going to the big companies that already have a pretty robust cybersecurity program. Right. So you brought up a point earlier where you go, we're going to get this money. It's vested over three to five years and it's going to take us three to five years to figure it out. But the last 18 months have kind of proven the resiliency of organizations, right? Kind of transitioning to work from home, transitioning to all these different things, kind of breaking all the barriers of what a network is. Because we used to think that a network was a floor in a building in a street somewhere, and now it's uh, everywhere. If you could look at this money now and go, you know what, how do we how do we speed up this three to five year kind of timeline? What would you focus on first, Kevin? Mm. I think supply chain is a great, great place to start. So I think about the whole universe of stuff to worry about. That, to me, is one of the hardest ones to solve, right? Because there is... It extends so far and so wide, and it's dramatically different, I think, than people realized. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we had the discussion earlier today about fintechs, right? Right. I mean, they're not, they're able to innovate in, a, in their space because they're not burdened with all this legacy stuff and this huge network of folks who they got to figure out to even understand who they are, what they do, understand what their risk is, right? So something that, that brought a more focused effort into remediating some of that. I think it frees up the capacity you're spending trying to sort that out and sending out questionnaires and trying to assess risk of your suppliers or worse, there's a breach and say, do you guys use solar winds? Do you guys use this? Do you, right? To put that into solving other problems. Yeah. I like that. Andrew. Um, I would focus on, on the people you think of like, how, how was it that we were finally able to get to work from home when many of us in IT have been talking about it for 15 years. Right. Right. Um, guess what? We, we've all figured it out because everybody's daily life was impacted by this pandemic. Um, I think so for, from, a, from a cyber risk perspective, a number of companies have that, well, I just, I don't have to run super fast. I just need to run faster than you and the hackers are going to get you instead of me. There are plenty of cybersecurity vendors out there that just try to take that, that manage, risk management approach. But if we can really come up with a compelling way to educate everyone and kind of, you know, improve, I don't know if you just call it cyber awareness training, but kind of, you know, improve or bring, bring the Culture. lowest common denominator yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Build a better I, culture around cyber. We'd probably see some better results there, along with you know your investment and all the other aspects. Yeah, I think I think we we know that the more money you have in your program, just the higher it is the cost of the attack is right. So you're really kind of dealing predominantly. You're you're kind of picking your enemies when you're investing two billion dollars a year, right? You're kind of looking and you're like, all right, my five. You know, the my top three threats are the Chinese, the Russians, and some really, you know, high-end organized 
cybercrime kind of syndicate, right? Because that's really who can afford to go after someone with a with yeah. a billion or two to spend on security. Whereas in someone who's spending a hundred grand a year, that's a completely different and, and kind of viable thing. But it, let's kind of go beyond tech and kind of look at you know kind of the talking points from this thing because one of the very one of the very interesting things that I saw post this White House tech and and I loved how they called it a tech summit when it was all about security, right? Um, they could have called it the cybersecurity symposium. They could have given it like they could have really made it a little bit more than just tech. But you know, you had Google and Apple and and all these different companies and and uh, at the White House talking about this stuff. But when <laughs> kind of looking at all these different investments that they, they they talked about and kind of all these different companies. The one thing that I kind of was hoping to hear and I didn't hear it was what you just talked about, which was kind of like awareness, people, culture, and taking that money and really kind of spreading it out in a way where it would be really, really effective, mm -hmm. right? To kind of go across the entire ecosystem. But if you look across our security ecosystem today, do you really see if we looked at it now and we said, all right, let's go a year forward. Everyone gets a little bit of money, right? Let's say they go and they say, hey, everyone, here's a million dollars for security. Where do you think most people would invest that million dollars on first? They'd probably go buy some shiny object, silver yeah. bullet tool that doesn't end up doing what they hoped it would do. We'll get to questions in just a moment. I promise. I promise. I know there's a lot of them, but yeah, we'll 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 get to questions in 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 just a few minutes here. If we look at the, if we look at kind of the process of building a security program, right? Security programs are often, you know, very versatile kind of programs, they change as the business evolves. You know, other parts of the business look at how much money security is about to get and going like, hey, um, there's something there. What do you think that's going to do for other parts of the business who now look at security and go, they're cash influx, we should probably look to work with them? Do you think that's actually a reality? Well, I think the first thing people are going to look at is why are we spending that much money on that? Right? Because I think we're still fighting the battle. And some, some, I think some companies are more advanced than others are. Well, that's your problem. Right. Right. I got all these business things and I make money. You just spend money. Why are they giving you more money? Because we haven't completely gotten over the bridge of helping people understand this is your problem too. Mm -hmm. And in fact, as a bank, right? I tell bankers, this is your customer's problem. Your customers are the ones who are getting victimized by business email compromises. Right. They got the same problems we do. You you should want us to get better and you should want us to help them get better. You should want the government helping them get better because that's how everyone's going to that's how everyone's going to benefit. But I think it's it's helping people understand. You, you know, you talked about culture and awareness. Right. This is really everybody. These are everybody's issues. These are everybody's problems. This is an enterprise thing. And then at the top of the house, the executive at the board level, people need to hear about we need to, not just we need to spend this because this is really scary. You know, you want to become the next colonial pipeline. This is the business risk you're facing every day that you as a business own. And these are why you need to make these investments. in. It. So you kind of brought up something, Kevin, and if you don't mind expanding on it, which is 
why are we still looking at security as an expense line rather than maybe a revenue generator aspect of it? What's kind of hindering that approach from a business perspective? I'll compare and contrast a little bit. So I have, I have fraud responsibility as well, right? And right. this came up during earlier today. Things we can do that we, that we can demonstrate can impact fraud and reduce fraud, that's a dollar amount, right? If I spend $5 and I can reduce fraud by $10, right? That's an extra $5 in your bottom line. You would want me to do that all day long because right. there's real live money associated with it. I think on the security side, it tends to be we're making all these investments. And my best guess at why we're doing it is either because you said we need to, right? Or because we don't want to end up like those guys that had something terrible happen, right? It's, it's just harder. It's hard. I know there's a lot mm -hmm. of approaches to it, fair, and a lot of things to try to quantify risk. I just find that to be one of the hardest things I deal with in explaining to people, this is, this is why we need to do all of these things. And this is how we need to prioritize it. And this is why you should care. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, my experience. I mean, uh, my, my group was literally the only payment processor out of North America with ISO 27,000 certification. And straight out of the bank, the bank was, the marketing team and legal was, well, we don't want to promote that we are that because we're, we put a target on ourselves. So specifically, security was an enabler. Right. And the sales team, especially out of Europe, was saying, great, we can sell the hell out of this. But when it got to marketing and legal, they're like, we don't really want to promote this because yeah. we, we just do not want we don't want that kind of visibility. I think we don't, if, want, we don't want to be that kind of target. Because North Korea, they say, oh, yeah, you guys are. <laughs> Let me show you, yeah. Um, Russia, you think they're that good? Sure. And then you start going head to head against state state sponsored multi billion dollar hacking programs. So you look at like maybe 20-ish years ago, IT had the same problem. Like, how do we not become a cost center and become an enabler or like be a profit center for the company? And the, sh the goals of IT became, I'm going to improve process efficiency. I'm going to align myself with these things that now I can go to the CFO and we can talk apples to apples in the way that we measure the success of my organization. I'm not sure we want cyber to go that way, or at least we need to start with like aware more of that awareness and like, understanding of what are the real cyber risks. I talked to, when I, when I was at Deloitte, I did a maturity assessment for, uh, you know, one of the, the top kind of infrastructure manufacturers and talking to their CRO as part of the process. He didn't have cyber in his top five risks to the organization. And he would start to rattle off the other things that were on that list. And I could be like, well, but the catalyst for that would be a cyber attack or the catalyst for that would be insider threat or the things that the way that we organize cyber but he wasn't he just didn't think about it that way because of maybe a lack of awareness or education and this is a company that makes some cybersecurity products so there's there's a gap still that i think we need to to get over and that might be because i don't know that CISO only reported to the board in speeds and feeds instead of more business level things but um you know i think as as a whole in the organization there's still some work that we need to do to, to get there so you brought up the board, right? So um, I'll start with you, Andrew. We'll kick it off with Kevin and then we'll go to questions, okay? How do we take the White House Tech Summit to the board? How do we get them to understand what's a realistic goal with the amount of money they're committing to security so that we don't have that dilemma five years down the road? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, it's going to depend a little bit on on what the organization is, what industry they're in, and then what 
what can we expect out of this? Our company right. committed all of this. That's in some cases, some of the companies you rattled off there, that's more money than they've ever spent on cyber that they've now committed, not just right. the big banks that have a billion dollar budget already. Right. Um, and so what does that, I think, what does that really mean for us? And, and I guess if you go down to the, the, the top level that boards should understand is, is true risk. What are the risks to our organization? Not cyber risk, but overall, is it our intellectual property or is it our customer's trust? Right. And then kind of reverse engineer from that, like, okay, how do I align different cyber initiatives to get to back to the things that they will understand? Kevin? So I think there's two things. I think one from, uh, I think one is helping people better understand you're making all these investments in technology all the time and everything you're doing in the tech space to invest, to gain competitive advantage, to be more agile, to compete with the, with the fintechs if you're a bank, right? is creating new security requirements. And you're missing the fact you need to invest in that. So this isn't how is my budget this year compared or next year compared to this year, right? It's what are we investing? What risk are we adding to the organization? What capabilities are you building? And how are we dealing with that? So there's that piece. Then there's kind of the, the legacy piece. And I think it, it, to me, it comes back to helping people understand these are the things that we've continued to make progress on and we still have more work to do, right? And this is how, we're, how I would recommend we prioritize those additional investments. We need to do these things because of this. We need to do these things because of that. And kind of support the fact, look, this is a continuum, right? It's not an event. It's not something we're going to do and in three to five years, it's all done, right? So you're not paying now to be finished later, right? There's an ongoing set of things that continue to happen. You need to look at it as continue to invest. And there's a people part of that too. And we're starting to see the reality of, we talked about talent. Um, there may be plenty of people for the jobs, but there are people who are coming in every day, two-year analysts who are getting a 50% increase to go to work in many cases in the vendor community, right? Yep. So I think we got to recognize you got to make investments in that space too. Part of it's creating more supply and part of it is companies is being a little more realistic about what does it cost to keep the talent you have. Indeed. I am going to end this. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.